Happy Easter, everybody. So good to have you here. I want to welcome those in the Lakeside building. Listen, you're not missing a thing. The mean people are in here. I love it, the fact that you're there, so in the lobby. And then all those folks that are watching online, my mom watches online, so happy Easter. I, I saw that it's supposed to snow in her part of Maryland tomorrow. Good luck with that, Mom. And uh, all those watching Deanie in uh, Fayetteville and our friends in Little Rock and all around the world. And then uh, we have two campuses. I want to say hi to all the folks at West End. Go by and see Abe today. He'd love to say hello to you. And then our Missouri City campus, our new pastor there, is there to say hello. His name is Chad. You'll love him and his family. Sarah's his wife. It's great. And then how are all the good people here at Richmond? Y'all happy? Everybody good? Man, is Easter stressful, everybody getting here? Everybody acts happy at church. Everybody, man, half of you are just ornery coming in. Ah, get this down. Ah. <laughs> happy Easter. <laughs> it's been a stressful time. It's so good to see everybody coming back. I mean, it's so, it's, I mean, really, between the pandemic and this war that's just uh, horrible to watch unfold and just regular stuff that we've got going on in life, life is hard. I mean, trying to stay married, that's difficult. I mean, really. <laughs> I've been married 34 years, and it's day-to-day sometimes, you know? And then trying to get married, you want to be married, you want to be remarried, you know, trying to overcome some obstacles, some trouble, trying to get a better job, uh, trying to make life work. For me, trying to lose some weight. Heck, if I could just lose some weight, you know, that kind of deal. I mean, life is hard. It's the way it's supposed to be. And so, but we all have hopes. In fact, today's about hope. I mean, you have a hope. Today, you've come here today or one of our campuses and you have hope and you you want things to be better. And here's what you want. Here's what I want. You want our life circumstances to be better. You want a better job or a better relationship or you want to feel better. You You want something to feel better. And we have all these hopes that are geared and connected with our circumstances. And Easter is the story of hope. It's actually the story of hope being restored. It's about hope being lost and hope being restored. And if you're not careful, though, you'll miss the whole truth about hope in the resurrection. Let me tell you a little bit about the story here, because I want you to see yourself in the story. On Palm Sunday, so many people were worshiping and excited and had hopes about Jesus. He was coming to the city of Jerusalem, and they were waving palm branches, and they were saying, Hosanna, God save us. You know what they were talking about? They were talking about God save us from the government. The Roman government, the emperor, the empire was so oppressive to the Jewish people there in Jerusalem. Their lives were miserable. Their circumstances were difficult. And Jesus had been talking about founding a new kind of kingdom, and he was going to be the king of the new kingdom, and everybody got excited. In fact, the disciples had a big fight over when Jesus sits on the throne and overthrows the government, who's going to get the better job? And they had this big discussion about it. And Jesus came into the city with a lot of hopes, but on Friday when he was crucified, all hope was lost. And I don't know if you've had this where if you worked for something and hoped for something and prayed for something and you you were so excited about this coming to pass and then didn't come to pass in the disappointment. If you've ever been hopeless, you understand how perilous that is, how difficult that is. And that's where the people were on Friday when Jesus was crucified. And then he was buried, 
And then three days later, he rose. You know the story. Uh, Some women went down to the tomb. Let me remind you of it in Luke chapter 24. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices and they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of Jesus. Now, I think this is important because nobody in the first century expected the resurrection they, they were expecting to go down and find the body of Christ. In fact, the women were going down there to properly embalm, according to Jewish tradition, properly embalm the body of Christ because a bunch of men had tried to do it on Friday, and you know how men are. So messed that up. So the women were going down there, and they were wondering, they were so confused that the body of Christ wasn't there. They totally expected it. And I think that's important because they weren't out there counting down to a resurrection. They were expecting all their hopes and dreams to be gone, but their friend was dead, and they wanted to pay him respects. But this is what happened at the tomb. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, and you would too. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Then he goes on to say, remember how he told you this. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And they did remember. And they went back and they told the apostles what they'd saw. And the apostles thought it was nonsense. And they didn't believe. And Peter and John and a couple others, they ran to the tomb and they discovered an empty tomb. And they must have thought, what sicko steals the dead body? I mean, really, how did this happen? What's going on? And they began to wonder. Now, to me, there's a couple of interesting things because I'm kind of like this. Is that first of all, that Jesus, when he was alive, he was telling people, here's what's got to happen, guys. I've got to be given, I'm going to lay my life down on the cross because of transgressions, your transgressions. And I'm going to pay the penalty that you should pay, and I'm going to take your place. And because of that, you can have forgiveness. It's called grace. And I'm going to show you compassion. But don't worry, because I'm not going to stay dead. On the third day, I'm going to rise. Now, I don't know what they heard when Jesus told them that, but he told it to them several times. But they just put it away. They didn't understand. So when it actually happened, they didn't get it. And it was angels of the Lord. It was this announcement that happened. And then Jesus began to appear to people. In fact, he appeared to 500 people. You know, there was no Christian church until the resurrection. In fact, when the crucifixion happened, all those followers, including all the apostles, disbanded. In fact, they were hiding out in the upper room because they thought they were going to be next. Jesus' own brother, James, did not believe. And they didn't believe because, well, he was Jesus' brother. Or half-brother. I mean, I've said this before, but what would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the son of God? He would have to predict his death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off. <laughs> That's what he did. I have a brother. If he said, I've got it, right. You know, I have a brother. And so it wasn't until after the resurrection that James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed and began a, became a leader of the church. There was two guys, and I love this story, a guy named Cleopas. I love that name, Cleopas. And Cleopas and his buddy had lost so much hope that they were going home. After the crucifixion on Sunday, they began to take a seven-mile hike back to a place called Emmaus. And as they were walking, the resurrected Jesus appears to them. Now, they didn't recognize him as Jesus. They thought he was just another sojourner. But they didn't recognize him, I think, because they had already figured out Jesus was dead. It's like, that guy looks a lot like Jesus, but it can't be Jesus because, you know, Jesus is dead. And he began to ask him, what are you talking about? 
And Cleopas and his friend were so, like, what do you mean what we're talking about? We were hoping that this Jesus was going to set us free. Like, and they were talking about these things. And Jesus kind of presses in on them and says, what things? What things were you talking about? And they explained again. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. That's what we're talking about. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And he was supposed to set us free. He was supposed to change our life. He was supposed to change the government. He was supposed to give us better circumstances. We hoped he would do that. In fact, look at what it says before God. The chief priest, though, right? The chief priest and our, the rulers handed him over to, to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And when they crucified him, all of our hopes for a better life was, died with him. And look, here's, he says this phrase, but we had hoped. We'd hope. Now, I don't know if you believe in God or not. A lot of people come to Easter and they don't. And um, you're struggling with this. But this is what happens to a lot of us, including me at times, is we have all these hopes about God and what God's supposed to do and who God is and how God's supposed to make our life better. And we get disappointed with God. And these two men were very disappointed in Jesus. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped finally after all these prayers, we had hoped after all this work, we had hoped after all this trouble, we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place and nothing's happened, nothing's changed, and my life still is difficult. Now, I don't know about you, but Cleopas and his buddy were were, um, articulating a certain type of hope, and that hope is called a circumstantial hope. They were hope, hoping, and this is what we all do. We're all in this together. We all hope that our life circumstances get better. That's what you're hoping for now. You're hoping for a better job or a better relationship or better health or better something. And you want help. Now, if you're a Christian, you're hoping God will help you get those things. And you're asking God to make your life circumstances better. But Jesus was very clear. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart of overcome the world. So what kind of story of hope is the resurrection if it isn't about this world? If it isn't about this life? I mean, think about this. Listen, our life circumstances change day to day. You remember when you're in 20s and 30s and everything was great and all that, and all of a sudden you start having kids and life changes? I had four kids. It was like Vietnam at my house, you know? It's like, oh my goodness. Now, here's what I know. Here's the thing about circumstances that can't be depended on. They're going to change. So if you're having a good life right now and everything's going great, hang on. (laughs) They're going to change. This is a terrible Easter sermon, isn't it? So it's like, uh, somebody told me yesterday, it's like, it's only a matter of time before the check engine light comes on, you know? Isn't that true? But here's the good news. If life is tough for you, you've just lost somebody or something and your heart is heavy or broken, hang on, hang on. It's gonna change. Because we live in an unstable world where things come and go. And we do this, all of us do this, especially in this culture. We hang our hopes on our circumstances. And a lot of us, this may be you, it's me from time to time. We're trying to organize all of our life circumstances in such a way that we can have what's quote unquote the good life. And you have a recipe for the good life. And you're trying to put that soup together. So you can have the good life. And the good life is about circumstances. But listen, you can have all the right circumstances and still not have happiness or joy or peace. And so the resurrection is about a hope that's bigger, that's bigger than our circumstances. We just got back from Cuba last Sunday. A few of us go down there and um, 
I've been going down there for 13 years, and I'm telling you, it's never been more difficult than it is today in Cuba. Tourism has been cut off because of the pandemic, and the country is bankrupt, and the government controls everything, and the church is oppressed but not persecuted, and people can't find protein. They can't find chicken. They're waiting in lines. There's no eggs in the grocery store. There's no milk for the children, and people are trying to immigrate out of Cuba if you have small children because there's no future. There's no hope in the government. So we go down there and we support 100 pastors. We took about 400 pounds of goods down there and some sound equipment for their church. And, uh, you know, it's just so amazing to see in the midst of some very difficult circumstances how people can still have hope. We met a pastor named Elliot. And Elliot is a middle-aged guy. It's a picture of him here. And he has three grown children in their 20s. And they live in a one-bedroom house. And um, we went to church on Saturday. And what they do is they take out their kitchen table. This is their kitchen. And they have church there. This is Saturday church because they have so many people coming to church that they have Saturday and Sunday church, which is kind of different for Latin America. And uh, it's just some amazing people. When we met Elliot and his family and these three grown children on Sundays, three grown children, two of which are in seminary, they go out to these other churches and try to encourage people. And this struck me as I was looking through their house. I was just two rooms, and I walked into the bedroom, and there's five beds in this one-bedroom house. And, they all say, and they're all so grateful they had a bed. And I thought, oh, how difficult that must be. I mean, my family comes over. I can't hardly stand to stay in the same house with them at times. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, my gosh, we're going to live in the same room with them. And I thought, How? And yet there's this joy, there's this peace, there's this solitude. Hey, listen, they're not sugarcoating it. This is hard. They don't like it. But it's not going to rob them of a sense of hope because they understand this eternal story, this eternal truth that's going on. There's a bigger story than these worlds trying to line up our circumstances in this world. On Sunday, we went to church in Havana and people stayed around after church. The people had come in. The bus system had shut down, so a lot of people had walked to church. And after church, there was a group of volunteers in the other room cooking up some rice. And they served this rice and a few beans in there for protein. And there's a tomato there. And some plates had a yucca plant on them. And what I want you to notice, this is uh, the only meal some of these folks got that day. But look at the smile beneath the mask of this lady here. I don't know about you, but man, when life is, I get, I've become Eeyore so quick, you know? Life gets hard, and I'm going, oh, woe is me. I have a pity party for myself. I can throw an amazing pity party. I usually have a confetti cannon with it, you know? I feel sorry for myself so quick, you know? I'm a, I'm a, uh, sort of a high maintenance kind of guy. I got to have just right. Just yesterday, I was complaining about the fact that this is not a lie. I was complaining about the fact that my pillows on my bed aren't fluffy enough. <laughs> <sighs> what kind of spoiled kid am I, you know? And I'm just thinking, man, I'm a high maintenance guy, you know? And I read a passage like this from Philippians, and it says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned, learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. 
Wouldn't that be a great lesson to learn? If we could learn to be content with every circumstance. This is what you're trying to teach your middle schooler, isn't it? You know, like, no, you don't need that. I do need that. You know how kids are like, I need that. I got to have that. You know, that kind of thing. And you're trying to teach them, you don't need that. You know, that's not it. And I'd like to learn that myself as a grown man. How to be content in every circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Circumstances change. They come and go. They change all the time. And he goes on to say this. I have learned the secret of being content. What is the secret? In every, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or want. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. That's the way our lives are today. We, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. We have plenty. We don't have plenty. And our hopes and our dreams and our Mental health, our anxiety level, our stress level goes up and down. And then there's this passage of scripture that everybody quotes incorrectly, I think. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about being hungry. I'm praying that trying to finish the 5K a few weeks ago. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about learning how to have joy and hope and peace in this relationship with the living God. That somehow we have something that we've connected our sense of hope to and purpose in life that's bigger than our circumstances. Listen, I'm talking to me. If we're just trying to arrange our circumstances so we have plenty of money and life is good and we have everything that the world says you need to be happy, we're going to come up short and we're going to come up to a place where we're disappointed that we got everything we were supposed to have, but there's no sense of joy or peace or purpose in our hearts. Life, God didn't come to give us hope in our circumstances. He came to give us hope in spite of our circumstances. That's the way it's supposed to work. And we're waiting and hoping. Bob Page on our staff is writing a book on hope, and he's an expert on it. I'm telling you, that guy's a hope dealer. I'm telling you, man. And I'm, a, I'm addicted to just hanging out with Bob. He's a hope dealer in a big way. Here's what he says in his book. Hope has to be grounded in truth. We lose hope when we buy into something that just isn't true. Like stuff's going to make us happy or prestige is going to make us happy or money's going to make us happy. Jesus rose from the dead so he could be your hope. And when we buy into a lie, and there's a lie out there and we buy into it, I buy into it, like no one loves me or no one cares about me or God's not going to help me or God's disappointed in me or no one, or I'm never going to change or I need that person, I can't live without them. I can't quit this bad habit. None of that's true. But our circumstances suggest it's true. And so we have the circumstantial hope that rises and falls on how life is going. And it's so unstable in our life. And God wants us to give us a solid rock to put our life on. A story bigger than our life circumstances. Because we don't know how long we're going to be here. A few years. And so what he wants to give us is a living hope, a living hope, not a circumstantial hope, but a living hope. Peter says it this way. He says, there it is. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. So here's the idea. You come to a place in your life where you recognize you need God. 
It's a confession. I need you, God. You build me, I need you. I want a relationship with you. And you recognize the thing that's standing in the way between you and God is your sin, your transgressions, you make mistakes. And you're humble enough, you're not arrogant anymore. You're humble enough to confess it. I'm a sinner. And you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and he rose again. Then you're born again. And when you're born again, you have a living hope. It's not a hope based on your good performance or your behavior. It's a living hope. It's a hope that allows you to rise above your circumstances, to allows you to be more than a conqueror. It allows you to be oppressed on every side, but not defeated. It allows you to have a smile and a peace and a hope that's not built on everything working out. Listen, it's a living hope through the resurrection because God's alive. He's not dead. This isn't a history lesson. This isn't about 2,000 years ago. This is about your life today. It's, it's about the resurrection to an inheritance. Listen to the inheritance of hope we have. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. It's waiting for you. Listen, here's the deal, I'm guilty. We live for these years, and in this moment, all our hopes are on our circumstances. But when you get connected with a living hope, and you recognize there's life beyond these years, that God sees me and loves me and has a story for me. And all of a sudden, I can endure all kinds of pain and suffering and hurt and still have hope because it's always reasonable to place your hope in Jesus when your circumstances are difficult. And we've had those. In college, I had a Bible study with a fellow and man, he was really faithful in this thing. He knew a lot. He seemed like he really had a great relationship with God. But I saw him a few years later, and I said, how's it going, man? How you ha how's your relationship with God? How's your Bible study going? What do you he said, oh, I've given up on God. Boy, doesn't it tell the story of many of us? What do you mean you've given up on God? Yeah, I figured maybe he just got too busy or he... He forgot his need for God, or he wanted to do life on his own for a while. But it wasn't that. It was more specific. It was, yeah, I, I'd given up on God. I asked God for some things. He just never came through for me. I said, really? I thought it was a big deal. Like his mom had gotten sick, and he'd asked God to heal her, and she didn't. She, she didn't get healed. She died. But it wasn't like that at all. It was simple. I said, really? What would you ask God for? He said, he knew, man. Like he had been practicing this speech, you know. He goes, I asked God for three specific things. I said, what were they? He said, a car. Actually, he said a truck, a girlfriend, and a better paying job. And he said, God didn't answer any of those prayers. And I thought, what's the use? And he had the mindset most of us have, that God's some sort of vending machine, that we put it in our prayers and our tithe and our service, and we push the buttons and we get our Snickers bar. Or honey bun. Don't you love those honey buns, man? I love those honey buns. Oh, and I'll lick the wrapper off that honey bun, man. That honey bun comes out. It's been in there for about a month, you know, so it's all sticky. Don't you wish God worked that way? That sort of like a slot machine, you pull the handle and you get the jackpot. That's kind of what he was. I, I'm guilty of that too. I'm not throwing rocks at this fella. That's the way it is. And 
We wanted three. And I thought he articulated very well the three circumstance categories that we all kind of want. I brought some uh, visual aids to help us remember these categories of circumstances. And I brought them in this it's a squeeze juice bag because I wanted y'all to know that there was a time in my life where I went on a three-day juice cleanse. <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there. I did that once. Not recently. So the categories of truck, he wanted a new car. Material things, that's what this represents. Material things. This is the material things that you need that you don't have. And you, here's the thing, here's the frustrating part. Here's where we lose hope. I don't have the power to give myself everything I want. And so if God's not gonna give me what I want, a truck, a house, what is it? A material things, this truck represents material things that we need in life. And listen, I'm gonna tell you something. You need material things. You need a roof over your head. You need a way to get to work. I get it. This is one category of circumstances, and some of you today have lost hope because you don't have the things in life that you need. The second category this fellow has helped me with is relationships, and I was thinking, what could I do? <laughs> what could I do? To do? So I asked my granddaughter if I could borrow her doll. <laughs> so Ella gave me her doll. She said, but Pappy, I got to have it back. So, now, Easter just got creepy, okay? So... <laughs> When somebody asks you, what y'all learn in Easter service? Well, the pastor pulled out a doll, but this doll represents something powerful in our life. It represents relationships, and we all have broken relationships, and it's just heartbreaking. And we want our relationships to be meant a, a divorce, or you lost somebody, or, or you're estranged from a parent, or a child, or a friend. Somebody's betrayed you, and this is important for life. You know, this, these relationships are so key. You're lonely and you're single and you want to you live your life with somebody. And that's just not happening. And you realize that you're powerless to provide for yourself in some of these categories of relationships. And you're just wondering how it could work. And the third category that we have, I couldn't figure it out. So I just, I found a $100 bill in my wife's wallet. And I'm thinking, <laughs> first of all, where'd she get that? And... Um, <laughs> She's been sneaking over to the ATM, and, uh, but this money is a powerful symbol because it represents the Benjamins we need in our life. It's not just about money. You're not greedy. It's about opportunity. It's about options. It's about comfort. It's about feeling valuable. It's about feeling better than. It's like this gives us some sense of worth beyond the dollar amount. And in this culture, if you have a lot of these, you get a better life, quite frankly, in circumstances. And if you don't have a lot of these, well, you really don't get a fair shake in life. It's tough for you here. We all want this. And I was just thinking about these three circumstances, these three categories, and I wonder what it is for you today. You know, what circumstances do you want God to provide for you? I ran into this fella, you know, when I ran into him and talked to him, he's funny, he had a nice car, he had a marriage he was uh, excited about, and he had a really good paying job. I think he was an attorney, which I'm not sure is a good job or not, but he is an attorney, and I'm just thinking he got what he needed, and he still wasn't happy. That's how it is, and I know you do this because I do it. If I just had this, what is it, a car, a relationship, more money? If I just had that, then my life would be better. I'm telling you, listen to me. It won't be. 
You'll need something else. When you get done with that, there'll be more stuff on the other end. And God didn't want us to go from hope of a circumstance to hope of a circumstance to a hope of circumstance. At the end of our life, we put together a great life. No, he wanted to give us a rock that regardless of what happened, we could have a relationship with the living God that gave us a peace that passes understanding and a joy that's unspeakable, that we could be more than conquerors, that we didn't have to be subject to our circumstances, but we could rise above them. We could have strength for the hard times. We could have courage to face the most scariest circumstances. And we can know that God is for us and nobody can come against us and we're gonna be okay. You see, that's the way it works with hope. Or just try to put together the life circumstances on your own. Just work real hard, trying to get more stuff, better relationships, and more money, thinking that's going to piece together a good life. It will not. There's going to be things that come into your life that you don't get to vote on. You don't give consent to. It just happens. But man, if we put our hope in God, that's what Psalm 20 says. Some hope in chariots and some hope in horses, but we trust in the name of God. We trust in God. So the challenge for this Easter is where is your hope? Is it in your circumstances and you're hoping God will help you or hope you're strong enough or smart enough or you have enough money enough to put together enough good circumstances to make a good life? Man, I'm urging you, abandon that life and cling to Jesus, knowing that he has your best at heart. Bob says in his book, here's another quote, the hope of God offers us is not wishful thinking depending on ever-changing and uncertain circumstances. But that hope is a rock-solid confidence built on God's unchanging character. I'm telling you, God can do so much better with your life than you can do. He knows what you need. I wish God was gonna come and fix all of our problems. That's called heaven. But until then, we can have a hope because we have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead and we can have a hope that he's with us. And I'm telling you, it's what you're looking for. It's what I'm looking for. It's what I want. Yeah, I want more comfortable sins. I want fluffy pillows, yes. But I don't have to have them. I'm trying to learn how to be content in every and any circumstance. We're a spoiled people. And God is going to show up in big ways to teach us and remind us that he loves us. And I hope you experience that on Easter. Let's pray together. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for the hope that we find in Jesus who rose from the dead to give us a living hope. That we don't have to hope that everything's going to work out. And we think about our friends in Cuba and China and Afghanistan and our friends in Ukraine. Their circumstances are so dire. May they find a hope in you. And if you're here on Easter at any of our campuses or maybe in Lakeside and you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe now's the time to come back to Christ to say, God, forgive me. I want a relationship with you, believing that Jesus died on the cross in my place. And I know you rose from the dead. And I pray, oh God, that my hope would be found in you. Father, we're reminded of this because the apostles, 
their life didn't get better after the resurrection. In fact, we know that 11 of the 12 of your apostles died a martyr's death. So it's not about circumstances. It's about Jesus. So I pray that we would today transfer all of our hopes that we have in our circumstances and lay them aside for a moment so we can place our hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.